the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon. You are listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Cloudy and rainy, the deal. Continuing this evening with a low of 43. A lot of clouds tomorrow still. A little less rain, but still shower two or three. 56 the high. Looking forward to Wednesday when skies start to clear out some with some sun. High of 66 for Wednesday. Phillies won yesterday. They're going to try and get a game in tonight. I don't think they've canceled it yet. They they try to get them in if they can. Starting a series with the Brewers at 7.05. Aaron Nola on the mound. And the Sixers losing 92-90 to Toronto. A last-second shot by Kawhi Leonard of the... Uh, uh, Toronto Raptors, That it's the first time in NBA history, actually, to have a Game 7 decided by uh, that last-second last, last second shot, and it bounced off the rim, I guess, four different times. And part of our program checking in on the way back from Toronto, covering the game for Philly.com, Marcus Hayes, who's joined us before. He's been covering the series. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm a little sick, to be truthful, but doing all right. Spirits are good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you've got Joel Embiid's disease. <laughs> with the teary eyes, you mean? No, no. With the, oh, uh, yeah. Gastroenteritis and the upper respiratory infection. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he's got a uh, very berry at this point. Either very berry or rickets. So, you know. <laughs> I, I certainly, I'm thinking it's just a common cold, but maybe it's worse than I realize. So, maybe it's an uncommon common cold. Yeah, right. So, tell us, you, you wound up, we talked earlier in the series, and now I guess you did make that trip across the border a number, the maximum amount of times. Only to see that you know, in the end, didn't quite, didn't quite get there. One basket away. What was it like in the arena last night, watching clink, clink, clink? You know, it was really amazing. I don't know if you remember, but Aaron Boone in I think 2003 beat the Red Sox in the American League Championship Series with a home run. Right. And I was there for that, and I believe I'm pretty sure it was in Yankee Stadium, and it was just a, a, a monumentous moment. It was just unbelievable. And I was also there for Joe Carter beating the Phillies in 1993 with a walk-off home run in the World Series. Wow. Again, in Toronto. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it was like that, too, because when the ball is in the air, whether it's a home run or a game-winning shot, in those situations, nobody's getting, you know, anything to eat or drink. Everybody's riveted on the play. It's going to be one of the last plays of the game. And the entire arena was utterly silent and it was silent through the first couple of bounces and then the next couple of bounces there's a little murmur and it's only taken you know what total of like a second second and a half yeah and then it just exploded and it was just palpable relief you know you 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 do this job to be present at moments like that it was just a uh it was a really cool thing to see and I cover the Sixers. The people who read my stuff, I understand they're mostly Sixers fans, and I'm sensitive to their sensibilities, but it was just a, a monumentous moment. It was really, really fun to be there, and that's one of the huge perks, as you know, 
of the job that we get we have the opportunity to do. Yeah, absolutely. Marcus Hayes with the Philly.com Inquirer Daily News column today. Now, as the dust starts to settle a little bit, it's kind of where to from here. It's a question that's been in everyone's mind anyway, regardless, but kind of depending on, well, how far can the Sixers go? Will Coach Brown keep his job? Which players will or will they not sign and all of that? What do you think the Sixers will do, and what do you think they should do in the offseason? I think they will try to give Jimmy Butler the maximum contract. Okay. I think they will consider firing Brett Brown, but I don't think they will because he's getting a lot of support today the day after from his uh, current uh, players. And he did a very, very good job. He only had his team together as it was comprised in the playoffs for 21 games because Joel Embiid was 14 of 24 as the season ended with with an injury. And Joel Embiid was less than 100% throughout the playoffs. He was out of shape. He was dealing with knee tendonitis, and he was sick uh, three times that we know of. So I think they will make a run at Tobias Harris and offer him something near the maximum he can get. And I, I think they're going to want J.J. Redick back. Wow. Their options at this point are Zaire Smith and uh, Furkan Korkmaz, unless they have other options of, you know, they're thinking about in free agency. And J.J. Redick today spoke about how he had to wait last year until the Sixers got all their ducks in a row, and he understands there's even more ducks to, to align this year. So I think they want to bring, you know, the five starters back in the head coach, I think what will happen is they will bring Jimmy Butler back. I believe they will bring Brett Brown back, but they might make him make changes to his staff because Joel Embiid didn't really progress a whole lot this season. Okay. And I think they will not bring Tobias Harris back, not because they don't want him, but I think Tobias Harris will be able to get similar money and maybe fewer years, but similar overall money somewhere else. And, uh, you know, I think one of the problems with this team, one of the shortcomings of this team, is they didn't use Tobias Harris as much as they should have in the Toronto series. The reason they need Tobias Harris is because Ben Ben Simmons won't shoot, but you can't run the offense through Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler if the third option, or or I guess the fourth option, Tobias Harris, isn't going to get the kind of touches and shots he needs to be the kind of streaky scorer and potent offensive weapon he's, he's here to be. Right. Right. Marcus Hayes, columnist for the uh, Inquirer and Daily News, philly.com, where you can read his material. So two questions for you, uh, and then we'll let you uh, – because you're heading back, right? You're heading back from uh, from Toronto, so we don't let you focus on the road completely 100%. But tell me – tell me number... <laughs> I pulled over at Charney's Attic Trash to Treasure and Confinement Shop. <laughs> That's right. Here in, here in Marysburg, Marysburg, New York. So. Wow. Well, have fun there. Safety first, Timmy. <laughs> oh, that's good. I should have known. Well, uh, we won't keep you, but here's the other two questions. One is, from a player's perspective, kind of, you talked about having 30 games together, whatever it was, with the, with this new group and Coach Brown, too. Do you think that that's going to factor in to any of the decisions in terms of the players wanting to be back, uh, specifically Harris and Jimmy Butler, to say, look, we just got started here. This is too soon to not continue it. Yeah, according to the uh, players, you know, some of whom have spoken already this morning, Jimmy Butler last night said that he believes that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are the cornerstones of a, a great franchise, and Jimmy Butler complained his way out of Minnesota because he didn't believe the same thing of Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. J.J. Redick believes the same thing he said. He, he wants to finish his career here. He'll be 35, I think, in a month. 
and he wants to play his last few years in Philadelphia. And, you know, he was 4 of 8 in the, in the uh, Game 7. He showed up yeah. and showed that he can still produce. Certainly, uh, Tobias Harris is kind of the wild card there. Uh, I'm not sure that he thinks he will be used the way he wants to be used. But, you know, you never know. It's, it's really hard to walk away from similar money and a good team and a good chance to win. And he's semi-local. And the, the guys kind of like each other. It's hard to get a read on a room when the room's only together for a few months. Yeah. But the guys kind of like each other. They don't necessarily hang out. They're not, you know, they're not hanging out after the game like the uh, 93 Phillies or anything like that. But it's basketball, and they're millennials or Gen Yers or whatever they're, whatever they're called. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Gen Zers. And, and they get along pretty, pretty good. They get along pretty well. So they have a good thing going. But they're... You know, they're owned and, and run by a couple of, you know, venture capitalist, private equity guys and, and Josh Harris and David Blitzer who are dynamic in everything they own. They, they make big, brass changes. They want more immediate return than most NBA owners. They don't enjoy being NBA owners. They enjoy being businessmen. I, I'd like to see them engaged a little bit more, available a little bit more. NBA owners are generally more affable than other owners NBA and NHL owners are generally more affable and more available. These guys, I mean, they have a lot of things on their plates. They're, you know, they're worth three, four billion dollars a piece, and the reason they're worth that money is because they really work hard and they fly around in helicopters. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether they'll let this sort of. This is the first time, really, since February. This is the first time that the Sixers have had a team that has a chance to reach a final and maybe contend with a Houston or a Golden State. You know, yeah. I would leave it together. I think they have a good thing going. Everybody understands each other. And there doesn't need to be this, like, sword of Damocles hanging over everybody all the time. And that's the ownership's issue. That's the ownership's problem. That's the ownership's fault. Last question for you. Do you think the order in which things happens is going to make a difference as to what happens? Um, well, of course, I, I guess they have to make a decision on Brett Brown first. From what they're saying, the players like Brett Brown and want him back. Okay. So I don't know that you're going to have like Jimmy or Tobias going into the, office, the front office and saying, I'm not coming back if this guy's here. You know, at least that's not the feeling that we're getting right now. Yeah. <laughs> what about vice versa? If he, if he isn't there, do they stay? Because You know what I mean? That... Well, yeah, I don't think that, that happens at all. Players very, very rarely leave because our coach isn't there anymore, unlike in college, you know? Yeah. Because they, they figure they, they're going to play regardless. There aren't those sorts of allegiances. I don't think anybody's going to walk away because Brett Brown is the be-all and end-all. And what has Brett Brown done, really? He's won two playoff series and built a pretty good team. He's a pretty good player development coach. He doesn't have that kind of pull. I mean, if it was Popovich or Doc Rivers or someone like that, maybe yeah. Kerr, I could see that happening. But it's all about money. Players want to win. Athletes want to win. But they have a very, very small window to make a, a a whole lot of money and they need to make as much money as they can. And they're not going to cost themselves $10 million or $20 million in two years of security because they might not like the next coach. Right. 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 Good deal. Well, safe driving, have fun at Fred's treasures and things, wherever you pulled over there. And... Carney's attic trash to treasures confinement shop. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's not operable since, uh, since all the windows are, are, uh, are uh, bombed out and boarded over. All right. Well, no good. But, bo- I, you know, it's a confinement shop. 
Well, how much natural light do you need? That's right. Well, enjoy. Thanks for taking time on your trek back from north of the border. And what's next for you? Do you know what the next assignment's going to be or the next focus? Yeah, I'm going to go to the Sixers tomorrow and talk to Elton Brand and Brett Brown. Assuming both of them are still employed. Okay. And, uh, you know, we'll do some baseball and we'll do some basketball wrap-up. It's going to be, you know, NBA free agency, NBA draft soon, so... Yeah. You know, there'll be that. Some, I haven't written many Philly stories because I've been immersed with the uh, with the Sixers so much. Flyers have made some changes. So, right. yeah, right. I mean, that's the great thing about being in Philadelphia. Not only is it a great sports town, all four teams are absolutely bonkers most of the time, which gives us lots to write and talk about. That's it. Good stuff. Marcus Hayes, you can find him at philly.com right, for the Inquirer and Daily News. Thanks again, my friend. We'll catch up with you again. My pleasure, Tim. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a short break. Come back with a very... Amazing story. Another Mark, Marcus Hayes, to Mark Sores from New Jersey. We'll explain in just a second. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. 416 of the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com, rolling right along. Want to jump into a conversation here with one of our listeners. His name is Mark Story. How you doing, Mark? Very well, sir. And yourself? I'm good. What are you up to? I'm sorry. I work for a company here in New Jersey that does uh, heating and air conditioning. Ah. And fortunately, it's a little bit, uh, a little slower day, a little bit soggy, but... Praise the Lord, you know. <laughs> Does that affect your uh, your work? I mean, the fact that it's uh, it is the way it is, weather wise. Um, to an extent, as far as um, you know, unfortunately, we're still using heat in the middle of the May. So yeah, um, if we get no heat calls, not a problem. But um, if we have to do outside work, say in the air conditioning unit, then uh, problem, especially routine maintenance and. Uh, we kind of get away around it. Sometimes we buy an old beach umbrella to kind of uh, shield ourselves and yeah, improvise. You know? Yeah, yeah. How long have you been doing that for, by the way? Oh, uh, October of '85. Whoa, coming up on 34 years. That's like a long time. Yeah, yes, it is. And uh, <laughs> however, that time went by pretty quickly. I hear your turn signal. By the way, I'm glad that you're using it. Especially in New Jersey, right? Yeah. <laughs> anywhere. I'll take it anywhere. Well, <laughs> the other day you won a Wawa gift card when we were having folks call in. They're just sharing a little bit about where they're from, what they, you know, maybe how they found out about FIL. And when you were giving your info to uh, the hardest working producer in Philadelphia radio between 4 and 4.58.50, Joe Harnett. He mentioned you had this story, and then you emailed later, and uh, this is really cool stuff. Uh, this is why I like to, you know, we have interviews, but I like to have people on from the audience all the time as much as possible because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on right around us. Part of your journey in life involved a rather hair-raising experience, so share about it if you would. I will. I will. Um, at the time I was flying a lot, I actually had an aircraft. I owned an aircraft um I was based out of South Jersey Regional in Lumberton, New Jersey. I was a youth leader at the time, and we had a year-long fundraising um, uh, thing called Speed Delight, where 
kids and youth group would raise money for overseas missionaries for vehicles and hmm. sound equipment and such. And uh, I got the idea that, okay, a young man, a young lady who raised the most money during that year, I would give him a reward, a reward flight. Okay, so you, thought, you're the pilot. You're going to take him up. Exactly. Okay. This is January 2006, just for the timeline for people to understand. Go ahead. That's correct. This was 2006, and the end of the year 2005, I decided, okay, we'll do this in 2006. I thought, where will we go? Well, Lancaster, once you get outside of Philly, there's really nothing much to see, you know, cow pastures and that sort of thing. It's like, well, I really want to take them someplace scenic, and there's something called the Hudson Corridor, where you fly at a low altitude above the Hudson River, much more scenic. I've always wanted to do it for years, and I thought, well, why not take them there? And But I just kind of want to be a little cautious where I hired an instructor to take me up for the first time. You were legal to, yep. go, to go up, but just to make sure you knew the path before you started to take the kids from the group. Exactly, and the reason for that is you have to self-announce your position according to the landmark. So I needed to learn the landmarks in order to self-announce my position because there's a lot of traffic up and down the river, varying speeds. You have helicopters, you have fixed-wing aircraft, and and again, you're flying pretty low because you have to avoid JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark's airspace. Okay. So, um, hired an instructor who I only flew with once before, two days before that, and I just liked his style. John Everly, I'll give him a shout out. He's a great guy and uh, okay, the quintessential instructor, just a just a teacher at heart. Yeah, And uh, I liked his style, so I hired him to take me up there two days later. Practice run, but it turned out <laughs> a little differently than expected. <laughs> okay. Were you along the Hudson River at that point already or approaching, or where were you? Well, approaching. We took off out of Lumberton. Um, we got a little altitude. Uh, we called off our flight plan to McGuire Air Force Base, and they had us on radar, and they handed us off the New York approach. And we were given a choice to fly 2,000 feet. Uh, through the Class B airspace, which would be Newark. Okay. Or do you want to go VFR, that stands for Visual Flight Rules, below the airspace? In other words, you will be not on radar guidance and on your own and left up to yourself to visually look for any obstacles, aircraft, and the such, and just follow the rules that are predetermined. So and what, and it's what, a lot more work. What altitude is that level? You have to stay below 1,100 feet, in other words, uh, okay. to stay out of uh, the major airport's airspace. Uh, we chose 950 feet. And I said, let's do this the way I'm going to take the kids so we can all enjoy this. I'll be familiar with the landmarks. I will stay out of the airspace because you get in a lot of trouble if you um, go through major airport's airspace, which is called Class B, uh, without permission. And not good. They can revoke your license. Sure. Uh, very easily, and especially post 9-11 days, even more so enforced. Yeah. Chatting with Mark Story, WFIL listener from Jersey, Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL, WFIL.com. Continue. We're descending down to 950 feet. We see our first landmark, which is the Verizon and Hours Bridge. Just really cool seeing everything from above there. New York City, it's a very, very amazing city, but when you see it from the air, it's even more incredible. So pass by the Verizon and Hours Bridge. I look to the left. We self-announce our position according to the Statue of Liberty, and that goes, uh, we call out our tail number, 2759 Mike, 950 feet, the lady to the left. So the thing is you have to be very brief. And the point of that is just to, you're communicating with who just to let them know they're, they're watching kind of anybody else who's flying around to keep you all out of each other's way? That's correct. So you're self-announcing your position so all the other aircraft in the area will know where you are, how high you are, and to 
look for you visually and avoid you. Okay. Um, so you're up there, you're training, you're getting ready to learn this path mm-hmm. so you can take the youth group kids um, who won the trip. And then <laughs> what happened? <laughs> that's my so, en- that's my engine impersonation. There you go. <laughs> that's pretty much what the engine did. So going further north, we passed by Ground Zero. At the time, there was nothing being built there except uh, what would be the Freedom Tower or One World Trade, as it were. And further north, we get to the George Washington Bridge. And about a mile north of the George Washington Bridge, the engine sputtered and conked out. And I'm going to just pause right here and play a mean radio trick. We have a short break, and let's continue with your story, Mark, after a quick break. Mark is one of our listeners. We'll see what happens next. Next, Tim DeMar Show, AM560, WFIL, WFIL WFIL.com. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. Two things. I like that music under that promo. And secondly, it should not be lost on the listening audience that Joe Harnett's always thinking. You have a promo called Climbing Higher right in the middle of a story about a plane that's doing the opposite. So Mark Sori, our listener, uh, one of our many fine listeners sharing today about going up in a plane, if you're just tuning in, and uh, we got to know Mark, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. We were giving away cards, gift cards to listeners just for calling in, saying their name, where they're from, a little bit about themselves, maybe where they heard about the radio station, found out about this amazing story that we're in the middle of right now. Continue, Mark. And I looked at the instructor. He looked at me and said, what did you do? Nothing. Absolutely not. Like, oh, this is not happening. Now given the regulations and your pilot's operating handbook, if you have enough altitude, try to attempt the restart, um, which is what we try to do very quickly. Um, there are specific procedures you have to do. First thing is best glide speed. Keep yourself in the air with minimum altitude drop. So that's exactly what we attempted to do. We went through the whole procedure. I'm in the left seat as pilot in command. He's in the right seat as instructor. Again, I'm a pilot in my own right, licensed pilot and. uh, and then the last procedure is to switch tanks. There's a valve to my left knee. His first call was, okay, I have the flight controls. I give up flight controls to him. And now I turn the valve. Last procedure, engine still is not starting. The reality set in that, okay, water is the only option. By now we're off the coast of uh, Yonkers. Um, the engine's not restarting. There's piers to the right, buildings, palisades to the left. Because we are going north. And water is the only option. And we so, have to avoid whatever traffic is anchored there, barges and tugboats and that sort of thing. So you're 1,000 feet up roughly, and you're having to quickly try to see if you can, as you say, reestablish the ability to fly. The fact that it wasn't going to work took how long? It was a half a minute before you realized this, this, this is not going to happen? We're going down? Yes. Wow. And that or less. I mean, everything happened just so quickly. It's, it's hard, but... Um, but the glide ratio of the plane, it's not a lot of time to be kept in the air before you're uh, meeting the water and ditching, as it were. And uh, the water is getting closer and closer. The engine's not restarting. We called off a, quick, a couple of quick maydays on the radio on the emergency channel, and it was inevitable that we were going to land in the water. Chatting with Mark, uh, Mark, sorry, who's, uh, you're, where are you from? What part of Jersey? You're Marlton, Jersey, New Jersey, or where are you from? Actually, I live in Burlington Township now, originally from Philly, from Kensington. Okay. And uh, now I'm living in Jersey for, ooh, the past um, 
35, 38 years. Okay. And Mark and, is uh, a, Mark's a pilot who uh, thir- 13 years ago went through this experience, which we just learned about when he won a gift card with us, one of many folks who won gift cards with us recently. So I just, when I found out about this, I wanted to have you on to, to share a little bit about this process, what you're feeling when your plane's going down because you were just going that little training mission trying to, you know, I mean, trying to make sure you knew where you were going for a future flight. When you're going down, is, is the what's the plane doing? Is it going is it dropping versus on an angle? How much control do you have? Oh, we have full control. There's um, small aircraft um, have a very good what's called glide ratio. So even though we're descending, um, it's a very smooth descent and pretty much the same as your own final approach to a runway. And this is basically what we're doing. Uh, taking the plane down on a controlled descent. Okay. But you said you knew getting the, closer and closer. You said you knew it was going to be the water. So was there another option? I mean – Briefly, was there another place like is there is there a runway is there a field something like that or is water really the, des- the desirable option at that point? Water is really the only option. If you remember back um, three years later, you know, incident with Sully and the uh, large airliner. So basically, if you didn't have enough altitude and enough uh, horizontal glide ratio to make it to an airport, really water is the safer option because uh, it's such a populated area up there. Okay and. The water is getting closer and closer, and John has, you know, John Everly, the uh, flight instructor, he has the aircraft, and basically my feet are pinned on the floor and my hands are under the seat just so I have no even temptation to touch the flight controls. He's got control of the aircraft. I'm just, well, if we uh, make it through this, um, are we going to land inverted or upright? There's a lot of questions going into my mind, but it's in the Lord's hand. I just can't believe this is actually happening. We were discussing this two days before in a hangar, so... Here we are doing it for real. <laughs> Had your instructor been through anything like this before himself? Never. No, never. So never. You, so you can um, train for it, but you have no idea really what it's going to, I mean, even what it's going to feel like to hit the water. Do you, do you have any inclination about if you, let's say you even hit it. whatsoever. So if you hit it nicely the way you want to, you still don't know how violent an impact that would be. Exactly. Because when a plane does come down to the water, something happens, it stalls. Not that the engine stalls, but... A stall means there's not enough air passing underneath the wings to create lift and uh, maintain flight. So we had to slow it down, just like we're doing a landing as much as we could. But by the time the aircraft stalls, we're doing about 45, 50 miles an hour. And the airplane still slams into the water, even though it was nice and nice and smooth. It was a very calm day. Yeah. I had to peg my eyes open because if we did go inverted, if the plane landed upside down, um, the next fear is I do not want to get trapped in here. And of course. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's kind of funny. I have to share with this that in a crisis situation, it's uh, funny how some of the things that you think about and your mind goes. So when we hit the water, you know, thank the Lord that we were upright to get the door open. There's only one door on the right side, and he scrambled out. We unbuckled our seatbelts. We didn't want to get trapped in the aircraft. Uh, he stood in the right wing. I'm sorry, I stood in the right wing. He stood in the left. First thing I thought when I got out of aircraft is, I hope nobody saw that. <laughs> As a pilot, that's, that's the worst landing ever. <laughs> so you almost die, but you're worried about what people think. Isn't it something? Human nature. It really is. It's a true story, but then I think, no, this is New York. Everybody saw it, or at least I hope. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this. And, did, did, so had you talked about the fact that you would have to get out of the plane and each take a wing? Like, is that part of your training to know? Hey, we made it. Then you sink. Whoops. We should have been spreading out. Is it, I mean, is that part of the protocol? Not at all. Not at all. The thing is, um, 
we do go through training as far as if you have to ditch in water, if you have to land unexpectedly, what's called an off-field landing. And there's a lot of things where you're supposed to be doing flying. You have to enjoy the flight, but also you're supposed to be looking for an alternate landing location just in case. Because a single-engine aircraft, you don't have anything back up. You only have that one engine. If you lose that, well, that's it. You know, that's your only power source and, uh, you know, the only source of maintaining flight. So, yes, you are supposed to look. You're supposed to know where you are, know where you're going. Because uh, even at um, 100 knots, which is about 115 miles per hour in a small aircraft, things do happen quickly as opposed to an automobile. Yeah. So you're supposed to have a lot of alternatives, a lot of emergency procedures. Emergency procedures are um, accentuated highly in their training, you know, for obvious reasons. And flying, you know, there's a great enjoyment to flying, but there's an inherent danger. Of course. So let me ask you this. So uh, for those just tuning in, Tim DeMoss show, AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Mark Sori is uh, uh, one of the listeners in the local area who called in and won a Wawa gift card the other day. And we were just having folks calling and share a little bit about how they came across the radio station over the years. And during that time where he's giving his info to our producer, Joe, he mentioned, hey, I was in this uh, interesting experience a number of years ago, this plane crash, which we're talking about right now. And so I, I want to get to the, a little bit to a, uh, in a moment about, you know, what God did in your life at that point where you were with him before and after the crash, but uh, whatever that might be. But let me ask you this, because you're, you're out of the sky, you're in the water, but you're not out of the woods, as they say, because no. the water's cold, among other things, right? It, we were told it was between 38 and 40 degrees. We're in the water, and the plane took maybe a minute and a half, two minutes to sink. But right before it sank, uh, I was wearing an Air Force-type jacket. Uh, I've never been in the military, but... You know, I liked it because it was light. There's pockets for pens on the sleeve, and it just was a very practical uh, piece of uh, uh, clothing. But I turned it inside out because I had an orange liner, so now the orange liner would be showing. Um, I never carry my phone on me. It was in my flight bag, but I got destroyed as soon as we hit the water wet. And I said, John, I'm calling 911. Get on it. I called 911. The phone mm-hmm. made the made it through the crash? Or are you saying he did? He did. It you- did. I had, it, I had it in my pocket, and I'm thinking – you know, when you're flying, there's a lot of redundancies built in the aircraft. Um, small planes, there's two spark plugs, there's two magnetos, two fuel pumps, one mechanical, one electrical. I figure, well, if we have to call on a flight plan, why not have two phones available, his and mine, just in case one fails? Wow. And there's always that mentality of redundancy, safety, you know, and that sort of thing, you know, as far as from a pilot standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Sorry from Burlington Township, New Jersey, our guest. We need to take a quick break. We'll come back and continue the conversation to find out what happens. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL, WFIL.com. Thanks for tuning in today. Live and local, it's The Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM 560 WFIL, WFIL.com. 438, the Tim DeMoss Show. Forecast calling for a cloudy, rainy evening. Had quite a day. 43 to low tonight. Still on the cloudy side tomorrow. A couple showers likely. 56 the high. Warming up to 66 for Wednesday with a mix of clouds and sunshine. Phillies with a nice win yesterday. 6-1 over Kansas City. Cole Irvin with the W in his Major League debut. That's the third straight series. They've won two out of three. So that's the kind of thing you want to do. The players will tell you they often are thinking that way. If you can just win series after series, that bodes well as you head into the playoffs. They open up a four-game series tonight, weather permitting, 
705 at home against Milwaukee. Aaron Nola on the mound. Also, the Sixers with a tough, tough loss last night, 92-90 to Toronto and a last-second shot by Kawhi Leonard. First time in NBA history that a Game 7 playoff was decided by a buzzer beater, let alone one that clanked on the rim four different times. We are in the uh, middle of a conversation now with Mark Sori, one of our listeners. Mark won a gift card with us. We give those away courtesy of Brian and Chevrolet all the time. The other day we had a kind of a fun show where people just, anybody who called in, and just said where they're from, a little bit about themselves. Uh, maybe when they first started hearing about WFIL, they got a gift card from uh, Wawa or Duncan or Rita's. We have several different varieties available. And off the air, when Joe was taking down uh, Mark's information, Mark mentioned to him, you know, I kind of have this interesting story. And uh, and I was like, well, let's, when Joe told me about it, I'm like, let's, let's have Mark on. So Mark is joining us to share about this story. If you're just tuning in, you can hear the whole podcast at WFIL.com, but but Mark uh, was a pilot, and part of a, as part of his youth group kind of activities, had thought in t- it was 2005. There was a fundraiser going on, at, you know, and, and the reward for the boy and girl who raised the most money um, for one of their endeavors would get to go up in a plane with him. So Mark, but before that, Mark went up in a plane with another pilot, someone who was an instructor, to guide him through the path that he was going to take, make sure he was familiar with it. So when he took the kids up. He'd already know where everything was, how to report properly and all that. Except during this test mission with the instructor, Mark wound up uh, having a situation where the the uh, engine failed. And so now the plane is down. It's hitting the water. It lands on the water. Uh, it hits hard. They get out of the plane. They're balancing the plane by being on either side of the wings, uh, Mark and his instructor, the water's freezing, you talked about, Mark. How did you get discovered? I mean, because that, that part of the whole thing is part of the equation. I mean, you said the plane actually sank within a couple minutes. Well, and here's the miracle part. Um, I have my own miracle, and then um, it, it gets a little emotional for me even to this day. Um, when the plane sank, I just wanted to get out of what else was my first reaction. There's a barge in the middle of the river. It was closer than the shore. I said, John, follow me, and I didn't realize John couldn't swim, but I'm swimming for for everything I'm worth. 30 seconds later, my lungs are burning, and I'm looking up. Well, the current's taking us further north, away from the barge, and I thought, well, we're not going to make the barge. I don't know much about hypothermia, but I do know the more energy you expend, the faster I'm going to go unconscious. And um, I look at that. Just That's when John and I get separated. Uh, rule number one, I would never do that again. I've never gotten separated from anybody I'm with. But uh, it was just wanted to get out of the water. So yeah, sure. And then I, and then the reality hit in. The reality set in is like, is this my last day on Earth? And um, I've been walking with the Lord for some time now, since '94, and by His grace, I um, the reality set in. Lord, I didn't plan it this way. I um, is this my last day on Earth? Like Lord. I didn't quite plan it this way. I said, Lord, but Lord, you own me. You own my life. I belong to you. So, Lord, if this is my last day on earth, I don't want you to be ashamed of me for kicking and screaming for my life. If I'm going to go out, I want to pray to you. I said, Jesus, you're my rock, my savior, my fortress. I love you, Lord. All my heart and my life belongs to you. I said, Lord, I don't want to die. But, Lord, that is your choice, not mine. And um, for that whole time... And then I heard something, Mark, 
that still small voice and I know who that is. Mm. Now, pause there. I went to Girard College. I lost my father when I was five. Um, I went there for 11 years. It was an orphanage in uh, North Philadelphia, and uh, I lived there. So one of the things we had to do, we had to learn how to swim. The Lord told me, Mark, yes. Oh, I knew that. Remember you learned how to swim when you were seven years old? I said, yeah, God. What's the first thing they taught you? Float on your back. Relax. Stop trying to tread water. So I just floated on my back for a while. A couple minutes later, I heard it again. I heard him. Mark. Yeah, God. Remember when you were in Boy Scouts when you were 11 and you went for that life-saving merit badge? Yeah, God. What did they teach you? Trap air in your clothing. So I left the jacket unzipped in case it weighed me down. I didn't want to drown in it and if I had to get it off. But I just kind of flapped the, um, the front of it, trapped there in the back of the collar, pinched it closed, and now I'm floating on my back with a little bit of flotation that I could muster up in the jacket and laying there. And then I see a Coast Guard helicopter going from south to north, unmistakably. How come they don't see us? Come on. And every 10 minutes he passed by. Well, the story behind that was they were out of Atlantic City, and they were on a Homeland Security patrol. And they were delayed getting on the patrol for 45 minutes. You know, the, um, the commander was supposed to be on that helicopter, but he got caught up in some office work and told somebody else to go. And because they were delayed for 45 minutes, they were six miles away from us. They heard our mayday, and now they're doing the search. They have no rescue equipment, no medical equipment, no rescue swimmer. But they figured we heard his mayday. we got to try to find this guy. So um, every 10 minutes, back and forth, why don't they see me? Well, they told me later to try to look for something inside of a basketball, which is my head, in a mile-wide river, no small feet. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Sheesh. And, um they were the ones that actually rescued me, and we were in that water for a long time. Now I'm getting very numb, and uh, I couldn't hear John anymore. I thought, oh, my God, did he drown? And You'd lost sight of him at this quiet. point, right? You, you had lost, you lost sight of him for a long time. Like You, didn't, you knew he was yes. in the area, but you didn't know where? Yeah, I, I couldn't hear him scream for help anymore. I mean... There was a tugboat in the middle of the river, and we knew, we saw the radar going around, so somebody had to be aboard, but they just didn't see us or hear us. And, uh, again, Monday was the holiday. So, um, anyway, a while longer, I thought, I know I've been in this water a long time. It doesn't feel like it. I know I've been here a long time, and I'm getting really numb. Lord. I don't know how much longer I can hang on. About 300 yards away, I saw an NYPD helicopter show up. I saw the rescue swimmer go after John. I thought, well... That's great. Looks like John's alive. And the next terrifying thought is, Lord, if they leave, I'm dead. Please don't let them leave without me. Yeah. And um, I'm watching the rescue. There's no sense screaming. 300 yards away, they're not going to hear me or see me. And then I hear another helicopter screaming up from behind me, and there's that Coast Guard helicopter. They were watching the rescue, and I made eye contact with the pilot. And because they're trained for motion, um whatever I could, I just raised my hand and waved and he saw me, um, hovered over top of me. And then, uh, wow. And I, and I thought, God, come on, where's the rescue swimmer? They didn't have anybody to send him to me. So I felt a thump on my left shoulder. Um, it was the basket. 
they're trying to scoop me up uh, as best they could. And I just grabbed where the cable attached my, uh, onto my left wrist and kind of hugged the cable. Just, it felt good to hang on to something at this point, but I couldn't get in the basket. They lowered it and tried to scoop me in, which they did manage. I mean, they got half of me in my right leg hanging out and, uh, they started winching me up into the helicopter and I saw that river getting further and further below me. Like, thank you, Lord. Oh God, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This thing is really loud. Thank <laughs> you, Lord. Just, <laughs> just, they got me in the helicopter. And, um, at that point I just want to know how long I've been in the water. And I asked what time it was. I just deducted from the last time I looked at my watch before we into then we've been in that water at least 45, 50 minutes. We should be dead. And, um, wow. they, uh, they followed the MIP helicopter to the uh, trauma center and, um, they're pretty hypothermic, but, um, they also thought I had a, uh, what they call a cardiac event in the water. They kept me for a few days Further testing. It proved to just be muscle damage from the, uh, hypothermia. And, um, here I am to tell you the story. Mark Story, Burlington, Township, New Jersey, a WFI listener. He's our guest uh, this hour. We'll wrap up Story's story, such as it is, in just a moment. Listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL and WFIL.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560, WFIL and WFIL.com. 451, Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL, WFIL.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you appreciate the program, feel free to tell a friend about it. And you can get podcasts of all the broadcasts as well at WFIL.com. Our guest for the bulk of the hour has been a gentleman named Mark Sorry. He's in Burlington Township, New Jersey. We got to know Mark just a few weeks ago when he called in doing a gift card. We were handing out gift cards to any listener. There's a whole day where we just did that, a whole program, just for calling to say, you know, what your name is, where you're from, maybe when you first heard about WFIL or a program you like, something like that, just to get to know the audience. And Mark, when he was uh, off the air chatting with Joe, the hardest working producer in Philadelphia radio between 4 and 458, 50, uh, you just mentioned him. I, you know, I had this interesting story, and uh, when Joe told me about it, I made a note to get in touch with Mark. And so Mark has been sharing this hour a rather remarkable story, uh, including this, this plane, you know, uh, centering around this plane crash. So if you missed it, you know, the best thing to do is catch a podcast. We should have it up in the next hour or so. But as we kind of land the plane, so to speak, here, uh, Mark, you know, I just want to ask you, spiritually speaking, whether it's before the crash, after the crash, what God's done, you know, how, if this remains super vivid in your mind, if it's dimmed at all over time or. No, it hasn't dimmed. I've, I kept, um, the newspaper articles and such, um, days afterward, um, even laying in the hospital, there's a lot of radio stations that call me TV stations that called me at first. I was like, Oh, I don't want to be bothered. Just leave me, leave me alone. So one or two of them, I kind of, you know, just kind of, Told my my brother-in-law at the time, uh, please, I don't want to bother. And then I thought, this is absolutely ridiculous and selfish. It's like I have a, a unique opportunity to glorify God and tell him what he did for me. And this story isn't about me. So I accepted whatever calls came in. Um, they had me on radio shows. And um, that following Sunday, uh, I was asked to give my testimony in church. And um, 
before the major television stations came and and taped it. And uh, now, personally, I'm, I'm the type of person I like photography. I'm not a professional by any means, but I like being on the backside of the lens as opposed to the front. Yeah. And uh, but I said, well, this story isn't about me, so. Lord, you allowed it to happen. You're going to have to help me with this testimony. And, um, and he did. He's faithful. Again, I, this story isn't about me. It's about the Lord and, uh, and what he did for me and what he's capable of. And if I walk away with anything, there's one thing I know. I can trust him with anything and everything, even my very life. And not just me, for you, for every listener out there. For anybody to trust in the name of Jesus Christ, you can trust God with your very life because he loves you that much and more. Amen. Amen. Mark, I, I know it's your work day. I appreciate you taking time to chat a little bit about these things. And, and in the end, that's what we hope this program and the station is here for, honestly, is to not to have a show, not to have a station, but to use it to encourage people because there are a lot of people listening all kinds of walks of life going through all kinds of different things but john three sixteen, there's the god above who made us made in his image sent the son for us and some have accepted him some have not yet but the encouragement there can come from any different place and today you get that opportunity we're, we're glad to have you being able to testify to the fact that god does love them and wants to uh Save them, you know, spiritually yep. and physically too. Perhaps uh, in your case, there is a great example of that. So, thank you for and, uh, yeah, and thank you. And I just uh, I was just telling a customer just before you uh, sent me your text uh, to call in. Um, I was just telling a customer about this, and and here's the wonderful opportunity that I'm always given almost every time for somebody who doesn't believe. Most people uh, reply with, "Oh, you're a very lucky man." That's like, "Oh no, sir. Oh no, man." I don't believe in luck. And here's what happened. People say there is no God. I beg to differ. I heard him. And I tell them my story in this way. I was there. It happened to me and they can't refute it. So yeah. God's given me a wonderful tool to tell people about the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again, Mark. Thank you also for listening in and, and for being part of the FIL listening family. And God bless you as you keep serving him day by day with your work. And you as well, Tim. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Mark. Have a great rest of your day. You too now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Mark Story, Burlington Township, New Jersey. He won a gift card with us about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And just uh, when we found out off air about the story, a little bit of it, I thought this would be nice to have him on. <laughs> wow. So I don't know. Part of <laughs> there's a lot. And that's there's a lot. There's a lot to listen to. If you're just tuning in. I get the podcast. We should have it ready for you in the next hour. Uh, quite a story to go up in a plane. I mean, it's everybody's, you know, nightmare in a way. That's why some people don't fly. They're afraid to. And I know when I go up, I mean, you never know. This is the time that for some reason the plane's going to go down. And in his case, he's on the plane, just him and his instructor, and the engine fails. So, uh, but there's a lot in and around that. And so, again, you can find out more about the whole story of what God has done at WFIL.com, just click the podcast tab, drop down menu, says Tim DeMoss Show, and there's a bunch of them there from uh, the you know, last eight or nine months we've been doing this broadcast. We appreciate your prayers for the program. Uh, I, I ask you for those. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff that goes into bringing things together. God weaves it together ultimately, but there's a lot of phone calling that goes in, you know, corresponding with people, preparing to have conversations, and 
So we hope that it's a blessing to you. We like to have guests on both in our local area as well as ranging as far and wide as overseas and other countries and realizing that God is the God of the whole world. So, you know, people will say, God bless America, for example. Yes, yes, but God bless other countries too. He sent a son for everybody. So our hope is that the program reflects that. And um, yeah, wow. Marcus Hayes joined us at the beginning of the program as a columnist for the Philadelphia Daily News and Inquirer at Philly.com. He was in Canada uh, just with last night's Toronto Raptors Sixers game and gave us a good report, pulled over on the side of the road and, and gave us some ideas and some thoughts about where to from here. So that's part of our podcast as well. Help yourself again at WFIL.com. Have a wonderful evening. We're going to pass things over now to Jim Maxim, Acts 413 Ministries. He will lead in prayer next. And looking forward to, Lord willing, seeing you again tomorrow. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.